on now. Wow, wow, wow. Well, it's absolute pleasure to be here again. Thank you so much for inviting me, Moran, and <clears throat> I'm just in love with this place. And I, you know, I really want to honor everyone here that every time that I come, I just get filled up and I just get refreshed. I get revived. I just think your love for Jesus your love for the presence of God and your love for the glory of God is just outstanding. And, 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 I really from, and I really mean this from the bottom of my heart. I really do love you guys. And this is so wonderful to be here. It, it, it's absolute honor. We love you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So this, this morning, I wanted to share about um, the perfect father, about our heavenly father, who is Father God. So I've been a Christian for about 12 years now. And I would say for the majority of that journey, I related to Jesus and I related to the Holy Spirit more than I did Father God. It's just something that, that happened in my journey. It was like that I saw Jesus as my savior, but I saw the Father as the judge and the lawgiver. And this hindered my relationship with him. And, and if you asked me, Sam, do you believe that the Father loves you? I would have said, yeah, I, I do believe the Father loves me. But subtly in my relationship, I found that I was actually standing behind Jesus in my relationship with him. And what this creates is this technical relationship where the Father loves me only because of what Jesus did for me. But actually, no, the Father doesn't love me because of what Jesus did for me. The Father loved me so much, that's why he gave me his only beloved son. And there's a big shift in this. There's a big difference in believing that actually, no, the Father loves me. That's why he gave me Jesus. He doesn't love me just because of what Jesus did. He loved me. That's why he gave me the most precious thing that belonged to him. And this was a shift in me that, that began to happen. And so now I no longer see the Father as the lawgiver or the judge, but I see him as my perfect heavenly Father. Zephaniah 3.17 says that he sings over us with great joy. What a Father. That our heavenly Father delights in singing songs over us. Just as the angels rejoice over one sinner who repents, every morning when you wake up, your Father loves you and is singing over you. In 2 Samuel 9, 1, uh, it speaks about David. And it says, David says this, Is there anyone left in Saul's family to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And he's talking about Mephibosheth. And he was the, the grandson of Saul and the son of Jonathan. And I love this because this represents the father's heart. Because Mephibosheth was an orphan. Uh, when you know, his, his father died and his, his grandfather died, he was left lame and he was left an orphan. But what we see in David's heart is he says, bring that boy to me. And what does David do? He opens up his palace. He opens up his table, and Mephibosheth comes and dines with David. In other words, his identity changes. 
he no longer becomes an orphan, but in one sense he becomes a son and he gets his inheritance. And this is our heavenly father, that we were once spiritual orphans, but now we can come into our father's house. We can eat with him. We can dine with him. David said in Psalm 68 that he's the father to the fatherless. David caught a glimpse of the heart of God even back then. And this is our father today. And so I think my aim this morning is to try and lift our eyes to the perception of what our heavenly father is like. Because you know what? There's always more. No matter how much we think he loves us or if we're on a journey with this, the great news is there is always more to this. John Owen, a theologian, said this about Father God. He said, and this was many years ago, he said, how few of the saints are experimentally acquainted with this privilege of holding immediate communion with the Father in love. With what anxious, doubtful thoughts do they look upon God? What fears, what questioning are there of his goodwill and kindness? At the best, many think there is no sweetness at all in him towards us, other than that which is purchased at the high price of the blood of Jesus. It is true that alone is the way of communion, But the free fountain and the spring of everything is in the bosom of the Father. So I, the Father, as love, look not on him as a lowering Father, but as one most kind and tender. Let us look upon him by faith as one that has thoughts of kindness towards us from everlasting. What a beautiful picture of the Father. In John 16, verse 27, Jesus himself said, the Father himself loves you. And today, this morning, can we wholeheartedly say that this heavenly Father unconditionally and eternally loves me? Can we say that with confidence this morning? And this is a journey that I've definitely, definitely been on in actually just surrendering to his love. You know what, sometimes the greatest journey is from a heart, from a head to a heart, isn't it? It's only a couple of inches, but it's the greatest journey that we can ever go on. And so just to surrender this morning to the perfect father, to allow him in and to say it's okay to be fully and unconditionally loved by him because Jesus came to reveal the father. You know, Jesus didn't come to save us from the father. He came to save us to the father. And this is the heart of the gospel. And so our perception of the Father needs to be restored. And there can be many things that can um, help, well, that distorts our view of the Father. For me, when I first became a Christian, reading the Old Testament could be quite challenging. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. You know, when you were to (laughs) read about Noah and the flood, and, and God kind of wiped the earth, it was quite challenging to think, wow, that... This is a perfect father. It's challenging. Um, But also there there are things uh, in our natural experiences that shape the way that we see Father God. So for instance, our natural fathers can shape the way that we see our heavenly father. 
This can be good or bad. And no one is perfect. But if we had bad father, natural father experiences, what we tend to do is present that onto Father God. And what Father is wanting to show us is that he's not like any earthly father we've ever experienced. And that he's absolutely perfect. So it's changing our negative experiences from our earthly fathers. We celebrate the good, we learn from the bad, but it's not allowing them negative experiences to be, to be portrayed on Father God. So if we've had an absent father, we may see Father God as distant. If we've experienced rejection, we may feel unaccepted by him. If we have experienced abuse, we may feel that bad things come from him. If we have experienced a lack of finances and resources, we may see him a father who withholds good things. If we have experienced sickness, we may see him as a punisher or a lesson teacher. And even a wrong view of scripture can distort our perception of Father God. But this morning, I would like to say that our Father has never, ever been absent. He has always been watching over us, and He promises never to leave us or forsake us. He never rejects us, but lovingly accepts us through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus. Bad things do not stem from Him. He is the giver of every good gift. He does not harm us, but he protects us. He is a father of generosity and abundance. He is a father who spiritually and emotionally and physically wants to heal us because he radically loves us. He does not belittle us, but he encourages us. He does not leave us confused, but he gives us direction and guidance. And he does not laugh at our mistakes, but he lifts us up. This is our Heavenly Father. I don't know about you, but I want to know Him more and more every day. And I wanted to focus on a little bit in John chapter 13 to John chapter 17. And, and this is, is what is known as the farewell discourse. It's where Jesus would kind of spend His last moments on earth with His disciples. And it's quite amazing that if you read the end of John chapter 12... It's the last time that Jesus speaks publicly. And what does Jesus speak about? He speaks about his father. I find this really fascinating. The last thing that he says openly amongst everyone, he's talking about his father. It's like he wants the world to know that there is a father out there who loves you unconditionally. And this is what the world and this is what the church longs for. You know, the church of God is not an orphanage. It's the Father's house. Amen? And so I really believe that the, the Father heart of God, this message, is not just one message that we kind of put out there with all the other messages that the church brings, but I really believe that the, the Father heart of God, I would dare to say that it is the message. It is the message that Jesus came to bring, that he came to reveal the Father to us. And so in John chapter 13, we see that Jesus uh, spends his, his last meal with the disciples. Uh, it's where Jesus uh, washes the disciples' feet. It's where he gives them a new commandment to love one another. And we see that Jesus tells the disciples that he's about to go back to this father. 
And in John 13, 33, Jesus said this. He said, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. And Peter replied, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter boldly replies, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. This is a real hard saying, you know. Jesus has been with the disciples for three, three and a half years. They have been captivated by him. You know, the disciples have left their family, they've left their businesses, they've left everything to be with Jesus, and Jesus has actually really become a father to them. But now he's saying, I'm going back to my father. And the disciples are actually quite heartbroken. And I want to just pick up on this, is that Peter asks a question, Thomas asks a question, and Philip asks a question. So we see Peter's kind of reply, Lord, where are you going? What is going to happen to us? But then Jesus responds, and he responds in John 14, 1 to 4. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I? Would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. I love this, you know. The word rooms is translated as the word stay, remain, or abide. What Jesus is talking about, the Father's house is a permanent place of residency. It's not a temporary place. It's a place where every son and every daughter in eternity will spend with Father God. And this is the great hope that us as those that are in Christ Jesus have, that one day we're gonna be in the Father's house forever. And you know in this Father's house there is no pain, there's no weakness, there's no sickness, there's no depression, there's just complete healing, there's complete wholeness. And guess what? The family of God get to dwell with the Father forever. So this is a wonderful place that Jesus is talking about, but yet they don't quite understand it. So Thomas then replies to Jesus in John 14, 5 to 7, and he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going even though Jesus has just said, I'm going to my father. He has great patience. So he said, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. I love this verse, and it's a verse that we are so familiar with. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But I think the downside of it is that we're so familiar with this verse that, we, that it loses its beauty and its meaning to us. And so this is what happened in my relationship with Father God.
is that when I came to know Jesus as Savior, I came to know him as the way, the truth, and the life, but I stopped there. But what does it say? That Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. And actually, a lot of time in our Christian journey, we kind of stop there. But actually, we need to go through Jesus to the Father. And I think this is very profound, is that I stopped in my relationship with Jesus. I developed a relationship with the Holy Spirit, but I lacked a relationship with the Father. And it's the joy of Jesus to show us the Father. You know, and I think in my journey, maybe because of lack of understanding, may, uh, what, for whatever reasons, you know, I would call Jesus Father. That's just what I did. And when I started to realize that actually Jesus wasn't my Father, He was my Savior and He came to reveal the Father, I actually felt quite bad that I stopped calling Jesus Father. I felt guilty. But what I want to say this morning is that it's the joy of Jesus. It's his good pleasure to reveal the Father to us. And so we need to go through Jesus to the Father. <clears throat> and so we see that Thomas asked the question, uh, Peter's asked the question, but now Philip asked this most amazing question in John 14:8. And he said, Lord, Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Just love that. There's something about Philip that he understood that complete satisfaction, complete wholeness and healing comes from knowing the Father. Jesus, in his whole life, has been talking about the Father. You know, we see that when Jesus was 12, when he ran away from Mary and Joseph, where, where was he? He was in his father's house. And so Jesus has been talking about the father for so long, and it's like Philip picked up on this, and he said, Lord, this father that you've been talking about, show us what he's like. What is he like? And this is so amazing, is that Jesus replies, and he replies in John 14, 9 to 11, and he says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. It's just an absolutely amazing response. Philip says, show me the Father. In other words, what is he like? The response of Jesus is, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And this was a game changer for me because how do we know what the Father is like? We look to Jesus. We look to the Son. And so if my theology, if my thinking of what God the Father is like does not match up with how Jesus represented him, then there's room for error. You know, in other words, 
at one time I probably pictured him as the Godfather. But Jesus revealed him as the perfect father. So when we see Jesus heal blind Bartimaeus, we see that our father is incredibly compassionate and he loves to heal people. Every person that came to Jesus was healed. Even in the places of unbelief, when Jesus laid his hands on people, they were healed as well. When Jesus turned 180 gallons of water into wine, we see that our Father is extravagant, that he loves to throw parties, that he's not a killjoy, that actually it brings him pleasure to see us happy. Is that amazing that actually we can live life to the fullness and it pleases him and it brings him joy that we don't have to shy away from life is actually he's excited for us you know and this is something that I had to really overcome you know in my life you know I believed that every time life was going well and life was good I was always waiting for the the wrong thing to happen I don't know if you've ever experienced that that when life is really good, what's going to come around the corner next? It's going to come and kick you, you know? And that's what, that's what I believed. But do you know what that actually is? It's actually orphan-heartedness. It's actually a, a state of, of being a spiritual orphan. But actually to live whole as a son and a daughter, we're not waiting for the next wrong thing to happen we're going from glory to glory. We're going from strength to strength. And that he wants us to prosper in every part of our life. When we see Jesus overturning the tables in his father's house, being angry at the money changers, we see that we have a righteous father. We have a father of justice and a father who longs to protect us. When we see um, Jesus feeding the 5,000, we see a father who is a provider. We see a father who is very practical, who cares for our needs. You know, everything that Jesus did, it, it reflects what Father God is like. So now when we read scripture and I read about Jesus, I, I see the, the beauty of Jesus, but also I see the beauty of Father God. And so uh, this is what kind of began to happen in me. And, and so the, the Father loves us to give us things. And that's okay, you know? I remember when I first became a Christian, I felt guilty about buying night trainers. <laughs> I felt guilty about... I even felt guilty about sitting at my desk to kind of study. I thought, you know, I should be sitting on the floor now. I'm a Christian, you know, I should be humble. It's quite, <laughs> you know, that's the way that I was, you know. But you know what, the gospel, it's not a prosperity gospel, and it's not a poverty gospel. The Father loves to lavish us with good things, and that's okay. And he wants us to prosper in every way, spiritually, uh, I would even dare to say with material things, he's a good father. You know, the father wants us to be mortgage-free. The father wants us to be financially secure. The father says you can get that new car, it's okay. This is the heart of a father. He's a perfect father. And so it's kind of changing our mindset to really what he's like. <clears throat> when we see Jesus uh, come before the woman uh, caught in adultery, and we see that Jesus 
kind of outsmarts the Pharisees and they leave one by one, what do we see? We see the Father is full of grace and he's full of mercy. Everything that Jesus did, he revealed the Father. I would like to also say that our Heavenly Father, he's an emotional Father. You know, I don't know, but you in your life have may have experienced an earthly father who showed no emotion. It may have been that your, your earthly father did not kind of want to celebrate you because it was seen as being vulnerable or it was seen as a bit too much. Maybe your father never express affirmation or love or care over you he didn't want to show emotion but i want to say that our heavenly father is an emotional father how do we know this well in john chapter 11 jesus very good friend lazarus died we know the story and what happened in john 11 verse 35 the shortest verse in the bible What does it say? Jesus wept. What does it mean? It means that Jesus deeply sobbed. What does it reveal? It reveals we have an emotional father. It means we have a father who's not afraid to show vulnerability. Jesus wept in front of everybody. He deeply sobbed in front of everybody. He wasn't afraid to show his emotions. He wasn't embarrassed to, to express this, this state that he was in. And so I can boldly say that this is what our Father is like. If you've ever experienced loss this morning, if you've ever experienced you know, losing a loved one, losing a dear friend, or experienced deep pain, then I can say that the Father has wept with you. The Father has, he knows your pain. He's not uh, detached from our feelings or emotions. He knows everything that we've been through and he's with us. <clears throat> also, it's really important to know that we have a present Father, a Father who is always with us. Maybe you did not grow up with an earthly father in your life, a father who was not present, but our heavenly father is always present. There's never ever been a moment in our life where he has not been with us. I don't know about you, but I can look back before I became a Christian and in the hardships of my life, I look back and I know that he was there and that he was good and that he was faithful. In John 16, verse 32, Jesus said this to his disciples. He says, You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. It's really powerful. You know, Jesus was about to be betrayed by Judas. He was then arrested. He was then interrogated by the religious leaders. He was then uh, put before Pilate and sentenced to him. He was then flogged, and then he was made to carry his own cross and then be crucified. 
And Jesus went through all this. And even the disciples, his close friends, his dearest friends, would desert him. It would only be John the Beloved who would be there at the cross. It would only be Mary, his mother. It would only be a few faithful women that would stay with Jesus to the end. But yet, what did Jesus say? He said, you will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. And you know, when Jesus was interrogated by the high priest, his father was right by his side. When Jesus stood before Pilate, and Pilate was asking him questions about his kingdom and where he was from, it was the father telling him what to say. You know, when, when Jesus was being flogged within an inch of his life, the father was watching over him with teary eyes. So I want to say that no matter the pain that we've experienced, no matter the rejection that we've experienced, no matter the abandonment, no matter the isolation, no matter the loneliness that we've experienced in our life, our Heavenly Father has always been with us. It may not feel like it. It may not feel emotionally that it felt the presence of a Heavenly Father with you. But I want to encourage you this morning that he was there with you. <clears throat> and I think it's really important to understand the relationship that the father and the son had. You know, when we read in scripture, it's amazing to see just how in love with one another they were. In John 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and the father are one. I think this can have two meanings. Now, one meaning can mean that they're one in doing. In other words, everything that Jesus did, he did because he saw his father doing it. Everything that he said, he said it because he heard his father saying it. But it means so much more than that. It means that they were one in being. So for all eternity, the father and the son have just loved each other in the unity of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? The Trinity didn't need us. They wanted us. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they're so perfect in their relationship with one another. They're a family God. They're perfect in themselves. They didn't need us, but yet they wanted us. And in John 16, verse 28, Jesus said, I came from the Father and entered this world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to my Father. It's one of the clearest statements that Jesus said where he came from. Where did he come from? He came from his Father. Where is he going? Back to his Father. And kind of in this context of the, the love and the unity between the Father and the Son, I wanted to just briefly talk about the cross. I wanted to talk about Calvary. Because many times when we look at the cross, we look at it and we see what Jesus experienced. And this is completely true. This is completely everything. But it's not the whole picture. Because we must ask ourselves, what was the Father experiencing? And this is a journey that, that the Father took me on because I always presented the father as angry at the cross 
and it, it challenged my mindset. You know, I always, you know, when we see the passion of the Christ, we, it's very descriptive, and we see what Jesus went through, but we kind of see the Father as angry. And even the song that we sang today, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. And I know that many times when I've sang that song, I've kind of seen Jesus being crucified and I've seen the Father looking down, being angry at his Son. But I want to say that the Father was not angry at Jesus. He was angry at my sin. There's a big difference. There's a big, big difference. That Jesus completely took my sin, he took my rebellion, he took my shame, he took my guilt, my condemnation. And that had to be in the body of Jesus. So did he experience the wrath of God? Well, yes. But it was Jesus experiencing the wrath of my sin. It wasn't Jesus experiencing the anger and the wrath of the Father, if that makes sense. And I think there's a big difference in this because I've always seen the Father as angry. And we see then that Jesus saved us from the Father instead of saving us to the Father. And we all know well that there was a moment in time when Jesus was being crucified and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? And I, I think we would all agree that that was the point of where Jesus was taking our sin and the Father had to turn away. But I've always kind of seen that as that the Father was angry. That the Father was so angry that he had to turn away. And was he angry at my sin? Yes. Was he angry at Jesus, his beloved son that he cherished and loved so much? No. Because I think this can distort our perception of what a heavenly father is really like. <clears throat> so what did the father experience? Well, I believe that his heart was broken. If Jesus wept over Lazarus, how much more did the father, seeing his son be crucified, weep over his own son? You know, they've been together for all eternity, and for a brief moment, they were separated. It's like the whole of time stood still. Heaven has never ever seen this, where the Father and the Son, for a brief moment, were no longer in connection or in intimacy. But what happened? Jesus took our orphan state. He took my orphan heart in this. And through the cross, through Jesus, now we can come to the perfect Father. And Jesus and the Father experienced separation. And they experienced separation so that we would never, ever have to experience separation from the Father, ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Isn't that so wonderful? <clears throat> and also, why did... Why was Jesus raised from the dead? Well, we know that very clearly. It was, it was for us, right? That's the first thing that comes to mind, is that Jesus was raised 
because it was for us. You know, he was the triumph king. But also, I would like to say that Jesus was raised because the father loved his boy. You know? He was raised because the father wanted his son to be back with him. Many times we think he was raised because, because I need to be free from sin and from the enemy and all these things. And that's absolutely true. But Jesus was also raised because the father and the son loved each other so much and they just wanted to be with each other again. And so what, what is the heart of the gospel? Well, I think it is many things, but I think what sums it up really well is Luke 15, verses 24 to 32, which is the prodigal son. And Jesus talking about the father, the famous kind of verse is, this child of mine was lost, but now has been found. What is the heart of the gospel? It's coming home. It's coming back to the father. You know, and the gospel is more than just justification. The gospel is more than just forgiveness of sin or to legally save us or to deliver us from the slavery of sin and to live in freedom or to to feed the devil. You know, the, the highest purpose of the gospel is relational. It's now that we can receive the spirit of adoption. This is the heart of the gospel. And for, and for my journey was, was this, is that when we take the context of the prodigal son story, I left the pig's den, you know? I left my rebellion, I left my sin, and I came to meet the father. He embraced me, and he loved me, and he forgave me. He put a ring on my finger, he put a robe around me, he sacrificed the lamb for me, we had a party. And that is wonderful. But I think the issue is, is that many times we stop there. But the other side of the story is that we're supposed to come into the Father's house. We're supposed to come into this place of constant intimacy with the Father. And what it actually means to live as a son and as a daughter of a heavenly Father. And this is a big shift. So once we left our sin and we came to Jesus and we met the Father and he forgave us, but then the next journey is actually what does it look like for me practically to live as a son and a daughter now in the Father's house? And Romans 8.15 sums it up and we know it well. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. It's everything. It's everything. You know, there there are actually hundreds of of names and titles given to God in the Bible. Countless names that represent the character and the personality of God. But the highest name, I would dare to say, is Father. It's the highest name, it's the most wonderful name. And in Aramaic, 
it literally meant daddy. It meant daddy God. And so this morning, can we say with confidence that our daddy loves us? I know for, for me, when I started on this journey, the word daddy seemed a bit cushy. I don't know if it <laughs> seemed a little bit out there. It actually, it can actually make you feel a bit uncomfortable to say the word daddy, probably because of our past experiences. But you know what brings him the most joy? Is when we call him daddy God. This is what he longs to hear. And this is the, I think this is what gives him the most pleasure, is that when his children call him daddy. So I think the journey for all of us is to, is to continue moving out of this formal sense of God the Father and to intimately know him as our daddy, as our papa, who outrageously loves us. And Jesus said this, and I think it sums it up really well, when Jesus had been resurrected and when uh, Mary came to the tomb and she found it empty. Jesus said this to her in John 20, 17. Do not hold on to me, for I, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father, and I love this, and to your Father. This is profound. Before the cross, you know, Jesus called them little children. He talked about his father. But after the cross, what does he say? He says, I am sending to my father, but guess what? Now your father. And this is the beauty and the revelation that we live in this morning. Is that our daddy, our Abba, outrageously loves us. He outrageously accepts us. He loves us not as we are. He just loves us for who we are. It's absolutely wonderful. And so this morning, I would, I would love to pray for anyone who wants to experience this Father's love. Maybe you're just starting out on a journey. Maybe, maybe even this message felt a bit uncomfortable for you because of the experiences that you've had in your life. But... I think just to open it up, just to, for anyone who wants prayer, I could stand in the corner and if anyone would, would want prayer to know this Father, to know him more, I would love to pray for you. So that's me done. <laughs> Amen.